0: welcome to this, the 42nd episode in this second series of the RISE Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre Angus Ogh Macanally, Artistic Director of RISE Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at RISE. I am a 21 year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar And this second series is brought to you thanks to the very generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. Now, each week we bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised we won't ever charge for this podcast, but we are looking for you to go and put your money into Irish theatre. That's the whole ethos behind this podcast to support promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre and of course the simplest way to go and support is to put your money where your mouth is and buy yourself some theatre tickets go and find a show near you this week or this month and go and support our troops but of course if tickets are slightly outside your reach this week or this month maybe go to one of the crowdsourcing websites the fundit.ie's the indiegogos see if there's a theatre project there that you can support donations often start from as low as a fiver and there are always great rewards in return for that support but indeed there are a whole heap of ways you can support without even having to put your hand in your pocket go and tell people about this podcast whether that's in person over a cup of coffee or over a pint or by sharing the link as a facebook post or twitter or instagram or snapchat or whatever social media package you might be using the more we can raise the profile of the podcast more we can use the podcast to raise the profile of the guests and keep that whole thing ticking over do please go and subscribe to the podcast over on itunes but they are of course streamable and available for direct download over at riseproductions.ie they're also available on Podbean and Acast all those other podcasting services that you might use to get your podcasts do please go back and listen to our other episodes both in this second series and the original series leave us a review on iTunes if you have a minute that's a big help for us or you can simply click to rate us on their 5 star rating system that really is a one click deal doesn't take anything out of your day but does a massive amount to help raise our profile and as ever you can follow us on Facebook we are facebook.com forward slash rise productions ireland or you can follow us on twitter we are at rise ireland And it's been another busy week here at Rise Towers. Unsurprisingly, I had a flying visit over to Edinburgh to enjoy the madness over there. Uh, A really hectic flying visit, literally just one night, but managed to cram in a whole heap of shows while I was there. Um, First off, and kind of immediately off the plane, I managed, unbelievably, to get a seat for Ulster American at the Traverse, which, uh, as of today, Friday, has just been announced that it's won the best of Edinburgh and is looking down the barrel of a New York transfer for early next year, which I'm delighted to hear. a phenomenal show. Really, really remarkable piece of theatre. And at the centre of it all, none other than Lucianne McAvoy, um, part of that original BTS Trinity acting programme back in the day, part of part of uh, Brian Burroughs' this year, the very first gang that came through it as a degree programme once it moved up from the diploma. And Lucianne is... As spectacular now as she was when I first saw her 20 years ago. Um, Just a phenomenal performance from her. So incredibly well cast as well, which helps. But just brilliant. Firing on all cylinders this incredible performance. um, Holding her own against these two guys. Just working her absolute magic. It's a really cracking piece of theatre. It's outrageous. It's wild. It's it's a thing to behold um, but I think it's going to have a reasonable life now by the look of things hopefully we get to see it on Irish shores very soon if you do get the opportunity go out of your way to see that show it was just really something spectacular but also I got to see some other stuff I got to see David O'Doherty that evening which was lovely as well David O'Doherty one of my favourite comedians just in absolutely vintage form he was really flying and it was great to see him work his magic and then that evening of all things I went to go and see the comedy show from my hero Colt Cabana Uh, He's doing a show in Edinburgh as he does every year for the last four or five or six years. He plays Edinburgh for the whole month and himself and the comedian Brendan Burns do a version of stand-up comedy while watching... Uh, Clips of bad wrestling And kind of commentate And just make gags around it They bring in special guests It's an incredible night out Even if you're not A massive pro wrestling fan It's just a hilarious night out But if you are a wrestling fan Then the in-jokes are there And Cabana As everyone knows Is my great hero He's the pioneer of podcasting He's the man who put Wrestling podcasts on the map He's the man whose format I ripped off And he did a phenomenal job So it was great to see him And to catch up with him briefly But then I also got a bit more theatre And I got to see Core Ensembles Fetch Wilson By Stuart Roach Fantastic piece of writing From Stewart uh, that's going very well for them over there and I got to see both Malaprop shows I saw Jericho again with a bit of pro wrestling twist uh, Jericho I had seen here in Dublin but this is a kind of a new version of it and quite different and um, that's well worth a look and also they have everything not saved which is completely selling out for them over there and it's great to see young Irish companies taking on the challenge of Edinburgh and making it a success it's not an easy place to go to it's not an easy place to do business it's not an easy place to draw a house but they are doing big numbers and it's great to see all these Irish companies just kind of taking the ball and running with it it's exciting it's brilliant to see them advertising and flying the flag for Irish theatre around the world it's getting more eyes on Irish theatre which can only be a good thing and they are brave intrepid warriors over there taking on the madness of Edinburgh but clearly it's all going very well for them so I'm delighted for them but as some of you know the real reason behind my journey to Edinburgh was to record the infamous episode 100 of the podcast obviously we had 52 episodes in the first series so Now that we're in the 40s of series two, it means we're fast closing in on episode 100. And this is something that I'd had in my head for a number of years and have had actively in the works for just over two years now on the basis that I thought at some point uh, two years ago we might be bringing the podcast back and now that it's back I obviously started working in earnest to make it happen. We nearly got it done a couple of months ago. Uh, It involved some international flights but timings and schedules couldn't be worked out but thankfully the opportunity of flying over to Edinburgh afforded us the chance to do it. So I'm delighted to have it. I'm looking forward to letting you all hear it. It's the famous episode 100. It's ready to rock and roll. I think you'll enjoy it and, yeah, I just can't wait to share it with you. So, look, that brings us to our guest this week, who is none other than the fantastic Karen Ardiff, one of our very finest actresses in the country, someone who I've had the privilege and pleasure of watching for an awful long time, just working her magic on so many stages, in so many great shows for so long. She's just spectacular. Uh, I love her. I think she's an incredible performer. So let's get straight into this. Here she is, the brilliant Karen Ardiff. <laughs> The wonderful Karen Ard of joining me on the podcast. How are you, my friend?
1: I'm very good, Angus. Thank you very much. And you?
0: I am very well indeed. Let us start, as we start every episode, with going back to the very beginning. Do you have an initial spark or a moment where things kicked off for you, where you went, this theatre thing seems pretty interesting?
1: Yeah, definitely. I was very lucky when I was a child, about 11, to have been cast as a kind of an extra fairy in a Midsummer Night's Dream at the Abbey. Oh, wow. Yeah. i mean, be so, debut at 11. That's not yeah, bad going. No, it's cool. So it's quite a while since I started there now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and that was absolutely amazing. Uh, I mean, I've subsequently worked with a lot of people who I worked with then, you know, yeah. uh, they're always horrified to know that the child is now somebody they're actually working with makes them feel terribly, terribly elderly. But uh, And that was directed by Tomás McConaughey. So it was kind now, of... That's a
0: hell of a start.
1: Yeah, it was amazing. And I, to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure quite how well it went down, (laughs) but but it was amazing and like I've never forgotten a single word of anyone's character in that uh, piece even though I had obviously no lines. I was in a kind of a, a, a costume you'd never put a child in a very, very small amounts of chiffon and flowers in the hair and wandering around. <laughs>
0: That's incredible. So how did that even come about? Were you doing kind of speech and drama stuff that kids do yeah. and it just came from that?
1: Yeah, I was. so the story kind of goes back even further. Is When I was born, I was born with what they call a tongue tie, which okay. is the, the tongue basically won't kind of you know, come out of the mouth too much because there's an extra little fold of skin. And uh, so it was cut a couple of times. Uh, it's a family thing, that in my mother and in my son, that extra thing produces a beautiful gap in the tooth, you know, oh, a okay. really sexy gap. Nice. But I got a tongue tie, and <laughs> uh, so after it was cut, it was suggested that I should be sent to speech classes because my speech wasn't very clear. Sure. Uh, the irony of me with the tongue tie, I know, is kind of odd, but uh, uh, eggs I've been making money out of my voice ever since. Yes, but, you know, uh, <laughs> so uh so I sent to Betty Ann Norton's. There you go, as all great actors are. And i met so many, like I still work with so many people that I met there. Jim Culleton yes, and Paul Keoghan and, you know, not necessarily even people who, who continued on as actors, Helen Norton. All kinds of, all kinds of
0: people. It's amazing the amount of people who came through there.
1: Yeah, it's, it really uh, is. It was a testament to her. Yeah. And to, but, but I suppose the I suppose it was also a little bit smaller in those days, but maybe more people are teaching now, but she certainly was a huge influence on a lot of people. Yeah. But it was through that that I was able to... And also, I did my first voiceover before that in the... Really? Yeah, about seven or eight. <laughs> and that was kind of exciting, too. I need to
0: get my kids on that. That's my pension oh, yeah. plan right there, oh, yeah. I think. yeah, I, I think that's what we need to get sorted. Um, have you any amazing recollections from that time? I mean, 11 years old in the Abbey. I don't know. Are you blown away by the magic of it? Or do you even know what it fully is to appreciate it at that age?
1: I think I was blown away by the magic of it. Yeah, there we go. I think I remember the the rehearsal room i was working there this year uh, and it's the same room it was changed not at all you can i seem to recall and i think this could be a false memory that i can still hear the wonky step that on the on the um you, you know when somebody walks across this kind of a loose yeah. paving stone that always reminds me of rehearsing the abbey and Incredible. i feel like i can remember that from being a child but perhaps not uh, That's amazing. and hearing people speaking those words i remember yeah. particularly the part I really was blown away by was Helena, and that was played by the late, great Susan Fitzgerald. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, just even the lovers were like Susan Fitzgerald, Maureen Negronia, Des Cave and Stephen Brennan. Like. Awesome. Come on. Come on. That's deadly. deadly. <laughs> um, so at that stage,
0: was, this, was it just something fun that you did? Kind of, okay, well, I'm heading towards teenage years. This is crack. I'm kind of having a good time. Or at that stage, did you have an inkling that you go, I actually might like to do this?
1: I think I was fascinated by it. And I think that any time I had a little bit of spare pocket money, I would buy, you know, there was, I remember very, very early, I got a book called Women in Shakespeare by John Barton. And it was interviews oh, yeah. with people like Judy Dench and uh, all that wow. crowd when they were quite young, mm. you know, and uh, talking about playing roles. I was very fascinated by Shakespeare, actually, and uh, they were talking about how they approached their roles. I remember particularly Judy Dench speaking about approaching Beatrice. Ah, yes. She said, uh, what a pleasant-spirited uh, lady, says Don Pedro, and the actress who plays Beatrice must never forget that. <laughs> <laughs> um, bloody good uh, advice, I think. It's a well. good note. <laughs> it's a good note. Yes, yeah, so I was starting to get very fascinated, and uh, I think in my head I sort of imagined myself, you know, in England or in the RSC, and that it was not something then as an adult I ever really wanted to do then. Okay. But uh, I think I just had visions of just the grandeur of the language, and, the, uh, and I was happy. Hmm. And uh, for me, even from a really young age, when we were doing plays, I, other people became nervous when they went on stage, but my safe place was on stage. Nobody I knew could touch me until the thing finished. Yeah. nothing could interrupt it.
0: It's kind that. of a fascinating element of it because you know you hear people not in the business go, oh, "I could never do that." The, like, the idea of a presentation at work or anything like that. It's like it strikes dread into the hearts of an awful lot of people.
1: And a presentation, as me, struck dread as I was walking around the corner to come up and do this interview <laughs> because that's, as you know, it's yeah. totally different.
0: Um, but it is incredible how there is something energised, something clicks and it feels right. And clearly from a very early stage, you were feeling, this is this is where I'm at home, it just feels
1: right. Yeah, and it was also things I went to, and uh, to, this is gospel truth, my uncle took me to see uh, Death of a Salesman at the Gaiety, and I always remember Ray McNally. There you go. Uh, for some reason, this struck me, looking from one son to the other as they were eating dinner, going, did, did he get the job? Did not quite being able to insert himself into the conversation. Mm. And that, you know, it's moments like that, I think, where you just kind of go, no, this is important. Yeah. But this is illuminating. It's kind
0: of amazing. So then, when the decision was made, okay, I want to go and do this for real, Mm. what was your magical route into the business?
1: Well, I was very lucky in that the year before I left school, the Samuel Beckett Centre had its first uh, intake
0: Again, where all great actors go.
1: Ah. I don't know. There's lots of places they all go now. Uh, But, um, and I started there. Uh, I I did the interview, and I was told that if my results were good, some people were just taken straight in, like my pal, Ross Dixon. And um, then other of us were told that it would depend on our leaving results. And then I got a letter to say that I hadn't got in, so I was going to do English and philosophy. And then I got a letter to say that somebody had dropped out or hadn't chosen to take it and that I had a place and wow. I was just so excited because I was also was so excited about going to to Trinity. Yeah. Living in town being away. And it oh. was was
0: this the like the academic course or the the, voca- the more vocational practice? It was the one? academic
1: course okay. actually, which was the one I applied for. It was a four year course. Yeah. Um I had sort of already set my sights that I want to be doing stuff in players, which you were kind of yeah. allowed to do in those days. Yes indeed. And and that was just four years of magic.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, and, and then I met all the other people that I have worked with and loved over the years. You know, my close friend, the late Vaughn Vaughan Miley and my great friend, Kathy Belton. And also, unfortunately, my now brother-in-law, Tom Murphy. Yes. And uh, all of those just wonderful people. Paul Kyogan was there as well, of course, and Jim. And we, they, we all followed each other around. And uh, I met all the new, just fantastic people, Richard Cook. Yeah. But now my agent it's so weird really you know you see the people now who are the younger people now who are absolutely just awesome 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 and so kind of fun and focused and light hearted and serious hearted and you just look at them going you're just meeting your, your lifelong yeah. pal
0: it is kind of remarkable I mean like I I was away at the weekend to see the wonderful Judith Roddy in Translations of yeah. the National and like that you know it's next year we'll know each other 20 years but it's a yeah. thing you got, there's something about meeting someone in I guess those formative years, but also in the way that we work together. That's right. It forges connections and bonds that are that you don't really get anywhere else, I don't think.
1: I don't know because I've never been anywhere else, oh, yeah. but I assume that certainly it feels like you form bonds. Very, and the fact that you keep meeting people at different stages, doing different projects that yeah. bring different things out of you or have diff- you have different relationships, it's a pretty fascinating thing to, way to spend your life.
0: How have you found those relationships progress, I mean, I guess both kind of just in the personal sense, but also in the in the professional sense, that to keep coming back to working with these artists again and again, and what that does, because in the way that, you know, there is no longer the Abbey Company, but the idea of these great Russian ensembles or whatever, mm. it does feel to an extent that Dublin is kind of an extended ensemble, and you do come back yeah. to work with the same people a lot.
1: Yeah, and I think your understanding of what they do deepens as well, you know, like I would have worked, say with Jim, and need Mead as an actor yeah. and, you know, and, and uh, all those wonderful artists and Cloden I'm thinking of the Ashfire that we did years ago, uh, many, many years ago now, which was just recently done again in the Lear, an extraordinary production by Maisie Lee, and uh, the wonderful actors in it, and yeah. but that was all very exciting, we are starting out Fishamble was Pigs back then and they didn't quite know what they were doing, and now I'll be working with Jim again in the festival, and, you know, my respect has just deepened, deepened, deepened over the years just watching the the... the the amazing work and the quiet strength of it, and yeah. know, all of that. I think that's what's kind of interesting is 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 to watch artists developing from tentative steps to, you know, see with people like Kathy and then yes, recently, you know, it's just it's just all amazing, really. You know, it to is. watch your friends grow.
0: Yeah, there's kind of there's a special enjoyment in it too because they are your pals, and you like yeah. to see people going well, and to see. You know, you know, from starting off at, at that kind of base level, then everyone's just building up and making it all happen. Mm. It's uh, I do I love that sense of the community about mm. what we do, and I think in terms of like when the chips are down and you need people to ride around, I think people really are oh, there yeah. for you. And oh, I think yeah. in a in a business and an industry that's as tough as ours can be, I? I think that kind of support is key.
1: Yes, I agree. I really do. Um, I know that when uh, my husband Mick was. Uh, uh, Had worked in London for about twenty-five years, and when he came back on a very sad occasion when our beloved Tom passed away, he could not get over the theatre community and the community at large, but particularly the theatre community and how they just uh, rushed in and the outpouring of of love and support and you know just love.
0: Yeah, it matters as well, doesn't it? Mm. I think it counts. I think it makes a difference. Because uh, I said, it can, it can be tough. Talk yeah. to me then about the time at Trinity, making, making all these incredible uh, relationships and friendships and mm. you know, artistic partnerships and stuff. So then when you come out into the big bad world, how mm. big and bad and scary is the mm. big bad
1: world? Well, it was funny because uh, I had a couple of very, very lucky happenstances very quickly after. So, of course, I was temping and, you know, I'd learned to type. Yeah. And all of that kind of thing in the days, and somebody else typed something for you. So yes, now nobody does it. But uh, I again was uh, asked to do uh, a, a audition for and was uh, to, to be an extra in uh, the three sisters. That was the three Q Sisters oh, and wow. the father Cyril that Adrian yeah. Noble had directed. So it was, you know, um, so that was that was amazing. And through that, uh, I met Michael Pennington, ran the English Shakespeare Company, and then. They asked me to join them for a year's tour with two Shakespeare's, and that went to all... So that was like a knapsack in your back, or a little, you know, a little, a little handkerchief on in the end of a pole. And that, was it, that went to India, and Australia, and Germany, and Finland, and wow. Japan, and all around England. So I was... I don't, and it was two Shakespeare's, Coriolanus and The Winter's Tale. So I was with actors, away from home, away from, you know, even... Yeah. Europe, or whatever. So that was it. Like. But for someone who had fallen
0: in love with Shakespeare and fallen as hard mm-hmm. in love with Shakespeare so early, to get the chance to be doing a couple of Shakespeare plays on the road all around the world, that That's must have been, like, And fresh out of college.
1: Yeah. It must have been incredible. It was. What can I can tell you, it was awesome. <laughs> I it took me about 20 years to do Shakespeare again, then, funnily enough. But anyway, that was, but that was amazing, yeah. Ah, yeah, but that was, I mean, it, also it was wild, you know, I in my 20s, it was like,
0: yeah. Yeah, theatre tours tend, I mean, debauchery is a word that wouldn't be too far a stretch, there, there tends to be divilment.
1: There was divilment, and yes, and there's plenty of opportunity, but the, I suppose the thing is as well, to some extent, it was also very interesting to observe that there would be people who would be my age now, leaving for a year, their kids. Oh, yeah. And, and their comfort zones, perhaps, yeah. you know, it's a different matter. You know, tour to four, or four to tour, and all that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? And uh, people were doing it for very different reasons. And we youngsters yeah. were like, you know, we could we, we couldn't even spend our per diems. We were making like hundred and sixty, I think, a week or something. But, right. it, but we couldn't spend our per diems because you were in, you know, all kinds of places. You were put up in great yeah. hotels. Um, and you came home to find basically a year's worth of wages there. Like, it was awesome. <laughs> That's a pretty that a pretty happy gig. That was a pretty happy gig. Um,
0: and to see so much of the world as well. I mean, I know when you're you're gigging, you don't get a massive chance to do a huge amount mm. of sightseeing and that, but we you did. went to see a bit, did you?
1: Yeah, we did. We saw a lot. Great. We saw a lot. But it became a kind of weird, like, uh, <laughs> there was this sort of a strange competition that kind of arose, you know. You'd come in and you'd say, oh, I just happened to run into this Hindi wedding, and it was absolutely beautiful to and then somebody else would, Say There was nothing that they witnessed a Buddhist ceremony that happens once to be 60 years or something. and they would, You know, it was just got kind of competitive fabulousness. And,
0: and as you look back on it <clears> now, the <throat> idea of, again, early stages in the career, to have a solid chunk of a full year on the road like that, just to keep doing it, and clocking yeah. up those flying hours on stage in front of audiences exactly. and in front of diverse audiences, yeah. must have been invaluable.
1: It was. And, uh, and also, there was an, kind of a rolling understudy uh, system, yeah. Uh, so, for example, at one point in really lovely theatre, I got to play Hermione oh, yeah. to Michael Pennington's uh, Leontes, which was kind of mad. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, so there were little carts like that. Uh, and also, I remember I was very young, so I remember learning things like, you know, an older actress coming in and saying, uh, Do pick up your costume, darling, because Petra will have to pick that up if you don't. There we go. And never forgot, of course, blushed crimson and never ever forgot you know no. that, that you're actually especially when you're on tour for that amount of time just mm. really getting a chance to observe what everyone's job is
0: how crucial is it to have someone like that who will gently take you under their wing and show you the ropes early on in the career
1: i think it's vital <laughs> isn't it because it stops you making a of yourself basically yeah. doesn't it you know and yeah. uh uh and it's i it was always kindly meant yeah uh, you know, any I, I never encountered anybody who lorded it over you or tried to show you your mistakes in any way other than, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you so you don't make a mistake in front of somebody else, yeah. you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, like I, I think learning from your mistakes is great. Learning from someone else's mistake is a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot to be said for it. Yeah. But also, I do think that there is, there is that thing when, when actors do go out of their way to look after other actors and go, I just you see something in someone, you go, I, I'm going to look after you. And... It means an awful lot to people when I mean I've had a couple of people over the years kind of just gently go, "Hey, how about this?" And yeah. you know, and I, just, I think it's in, invaluable as well.
1: Yeah, I think it is because it, you know it can be a strange one really because you know they're really about the nuts and bolts of it because you, you know you can find yourself at any age in a play where you're you're you're. you're your job is nothing but to be supportive to this young person who's really yeah. leading from the front, you know, who has all the lines and uh, is the one with all the stamina and yeah. I've come across that many times and then you can just sit back in awe, you go, I'm not going to teach this person, anyway, I'm going to sit back and be sort of grateful that Let they're... Let them work their magic. Yeah, but I will also be grateful that there's such, you know, that there's are such leaders, you know, and that they're, they're, that they're taking all this responsibility that they need to take. It's very exciting.
0: Talk about coming back from a tour like that then. So as you said, like you've had this incredible thing all around the world, working flat out, loads of money. Presumably the happy reality of that doesn't necessarily continue indefinitely. <laughs> and I don't ca- remember
1: it very well, coming back. I mean, I remember going into a sort of... Uh, it's funny because I sort of, sometimes you remember getting jobs and you remember doing them and you remember, I think I had a couple of experiences where somebody was unable to continue and I ended up taking over roles because nobody had seen really the stuff right. that I had done about but, but the, my agent uh, the least Richard's agency had come over to see it so I had that back there right. by that stage which made a big difference yeah. and uh, I don't know it's funny like most actors I sort of feel that this year has been very good, but mostly people perceive that you work more than you do. Yeah. Kind of thing, it's always do you the way. I mean? And I sort of feel that probably I've had a lifetime of being perceived to work more than I do. <laughs> uh, so I don't quite remember the specifics. I remember I did some temping then, uh, but then after that, I Yeah, because my, my,
0: my recollection is that it, it, it feels me there was a long period of time where you yeah. were practically mm. on the Abbey stage every night.
1: There was a good, certainly I did a good stretch, yeah. yeah. But then there were lots of long times where I did an awful lot of plays in Irish around that time, and right, okay. I did a lot of Geltop tours that yeah. were coming out of the Abbey at that ran in the nineties, which was just awesome as well. Like, um, and it seems to me that there was a lot of like we got to tour to very odd places. So like we did a, a production of Love in the Title by Hugh Leonard, who yes. was actually in a, Hugh Leonard at the moment, uh, Roman Fever and Beulies. But he, he, we went to uh, San Jose for a summer. Self and Catherine Holt and Ingrid, Greggy. Yes. I uh, did a sort of residency there, and then we went to Singapore for to do four shows in like seven days or something. It was like it was jam fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then there were, you know, I was also getting very lucky to sometimes be involved in things that were just kind of really extraordinary things of themselves. Like Terry Flynn is one yeah. memory that I have, of which Colonel Morrison invented yeah I mean, it, it, I mean it's
0: now in the iconic thing of it, when you look back of shows of the last even 30 or 40 years mm. it's one of the big standouts
1: you get so lucky sometimes to be was part it as,
0: of was it as mad as people think it might have been with jonathan shanky playing a chicken and various yes, other things jonathan
1: shanky was a chicken most certainly he was uh, and see I always feel that the madness of Tarry was exemplified one time. So Pauline, the late, great Pauline Flanagan and James Kennedy were playing a scene between Tarry and his mother. Blah, 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 fighting and all that kind of thing. And they rehearsed. And then, secretly over the other side of town, the chickens were being rehearsed by David Bulger and Colin <laughs> dropping in. The chickens were basically jumping onto the tables and jumping off. And then one day in rehearsal, we just said, well, let's put it all together. Chickens and scene and... There was no, uh, it was seamless, you know, Pauline was there flicking chickens off the <laughs> table and they were being flicked. it just added to the madness, it was great. It's
0: incredible. Um, did you guys know at the time that you were part of something special or are you just too deep in it making it happen to to know?
1: Well, I think we did know because everybody's, We it was a very large group of people and we were all very odd. by, uh, all of us were completely sort of individual and odd looking, we were I had lots and lots of hair and one of the dancers was odd by being absolutely one of the most stunningly beautiful people who would ever, and somebody else had, you know, was terribly tall, steep land, and yes. just an odd bunch. And then there was a uh, 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 unique and wonderful, may Yes, indeed. But had, there was this piece of paper on top of our scripts that said, any act, i have not misquoted, to misquote it, uh, any actor, any... Sometimes something can carry within it the energy of the imagination, and I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. As I that was like, there's yours. That's what we're doing. And you know, as people went around the table saying what they were playing, um, I remember the very beautiful Werner Bloomer saying, "I'll be playing the heifer and the oily backside of mud." And you're going, "Okay, we're we're through the looking glass here, people." <laughs> <laughs> and then the choreography by David Butler and Cumml together, I presume, uh, was just. It was sublime. And it was, it was I don't know, for us anyway, it felt unlike anything that had gone on before. It felt very exciting.
0: Did it feel in general that that was an exciting time at the Abbey with the stuff that was going on? I think so. Yeah.
1: I think so, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I think it did.
0: Yeah, it's in, its interesting. I can, again, you kind of feel things sometimes come in waves and stuff, and you kind of feel mm. like bursts of energy so, and things being... You know, particularly because I remember being incredibly excited about a lot of the new writing that was going on in the Peacock in the late '90s and stuff. That there was Mm. like a real push on it. Um, That it can just kind of go through those stages of kind of that there's like a real influx of energy.
1: Around that time, I was doing quite a bit of Tom McIntyre, and that kind of thing, and and that I found very exciting and very uh, very uh, exhilarating to be part of. What gets you
0: excited about a script? When something lands on the of so going here, have a look at this, is, is there anything, a particular characteristic you're looking for in someone's writing, or what gets you going? What
1: mm. gets me going? Uh, I just. It, 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 you, I like the quality of when you finish a script and you put it down and you go. Yeah. So it's not really just what, what you're looking for in your own characters, yeah. you want the whole thing to sort of really sing. Um, and. Yeah, I suppose the old grey whistle test as well. And certainly as an actor, you you, you want to look at something that you 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 know that you feel in your heart. That, you know, there'd be sort of, I'm tapping my chest now, the, uh, to indicate just that feeling of just before you're going to say something that you're going to feel like you really, really, really want to land this on the audience. Yeah. I had that experience in spades of The Unmanageable Sisters where I read the things going, this part's amazing, this play is amazing. And then I came to a speech at the end and I thought I I. I'm going to just be so sad if I can't get to say that. Yeah,
0: you nailed that. There's no other way to talk about this in in a in a moment. I kind of, it's one of the big standout moments from what was a big standout show that I know a lot of people talking. Like it was this miraculous moment of of huge power coming from the stage. I th- I thought it was really breathtaking. It was incredible.
1: But it was a very good confluence, wasn't it? Because. Uh, it was originally beautifully written by Michelle Trombley. I think Deirdre nailed it. And Graham McLaren, who directed it, gave me the permission to do a thing that you always want to be able to do if it's appropriate to the character, which isn't, as a woman particularly, is to be angry if you're angry and not sad about it. Yeah. Just angry. You know? Yeah. That was kind of awesome. And he didn't pull any punches, but he said, you know, I'm... I, Uh, you can stand in the middle of the stage and just do it, basically. Now, he gave me much more direction than that. That was essentially the one that that really kind of was very free.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, you can't really get away from the significance of uh, Deirdre finally being on that stage. And 14 or 15 women up on that stage as well.
1: And just before the repeal vote. Yeah. I think all of that made it feel extremely, it's like sometimes you're just very lucky to feel that you're there at that time. Yeah. And for me, I kept thinking every time I'd walk on, you know, at the beginning of that play, I would go at this time, in this place, mm. with these women, with this script, yeah. with this to say... Uh, I, I just kept thinking, you jammy bitch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was pretty special, and it's one of those ones where I like. Privileged, yeah. yeah I, well, I think we were privileged in the audience to get to do it as well. I mean, I am very fortunate to have had an awful lot of amazing Karen Ardiff moments on that stage over the years. Yeah, I guess and, and and, to, and to, but to see it again, I, like, I was just, I was blown away. It was really, really remarkable. Are there? I mean, as you look at t- particularly on that stage, are there ones that really stand out for you? I and mean, obviously, that's that's a recent one and a very powerful one. Mm. Are there, as you look back, particularly on the Abbey stage, are there moments that stand out for you?
1: Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, I one that always comes back to me that I loved doing was uh, "Good Evening, Mr. Collins." Yes. Now I got to play all the parts, which is great. So I don't know. I, I'd say sometimes they'll do it and they won't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it, uh, it's probably better to have somebody playing all the. Uh, I just loved, I loved that piece. It was mm. just so kind of magic and strange and funny and just these amazing actors, all these amazing actors. And uh, I suppose the other one is loving the title, of The hue yeah. that we did, which I loved. Again, one of those things that you read and you go, oh, that's a gift, that's mm. an absolute gift. And there were three amazing parts, and the one that I played struck me as just being, I, I'm always referencing it, the idea of if you could live life Backwards, and I kept thinking about that during the repeal campaign. The idea, that this, the idea in, in that play was that three generations of women—the grandmother, the mother, and the daughter—meet uh, in this field by some kind of spooky thing. Yeah. The conceit is that the daughter is in her forties, the mother is in her thirties, and the grandmother is only in her twenties. They exist in their own time. So through the course, the action of the play, the the grandmother finds out that you know uh, things that she's. Devastated and castigated for, like you know, with unwanted pregnancy and all that kind of thing is perfectly normal there, and it absolutely completely destroys her. Except she then finds a resilience. Yeah. And I remember thinking, you know, at certain times recently, I was just thinking maybe for a lot of people it becomes unthinkable that something that 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 has threatened to consume you and destroy your life and deaden your life can. That, that, that can just all go away you know what I mean and uh, so many of the stories that came out around the, the repeal thing I found yeah. just absolutely uh, terribly sad and, and uh, obviously and uh, they reminded me of that th- I think that sometimes something that theatre can do it can actually dr- dramatise in a way that is literally unreal Yeah, what it would be like to find out that everything that oppressed you just didn't exist for somebody else anymore and how that would make you feel
0: yeah yeah it is, I mean i I do still believe in the power of theatre, I just believe in the, yeah. in the magic of it and in that there is something special and unique in bringing together a group of people in that darkened room for this shared experience yeah. and I I, like I I often use the word communion kind of to yeah. talk about it because I do think there's an element of that, I do think it's important um, because I think when we're lucky I think it can really reach and articulate something for people that maybe yeah. they've been feeling for a long time but couldn't quite put their finger on it. Yeah, and like you say, like particularly, you know, when the timing is right, when the, when the elements come together, and something like Unmanageable Sisters immediately before that vote, mm. it can capture something and awaken something in people, which I think is really useful for us as a people and as a
1: society. I agree.
0: You know, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the process of. How, the famous Ian McKellen thing from Extras how do you act so well <laughs> what, what is the process like for you are you someone who goes right the script drives in I'm going to learn every word and you know have a real analysis and all text based or are you going I need to find it physically is it a combination of all of those do you need to get the right shoes on day one of rehearsals oh, or how do you how do you like to build a performance?
1: I don't know. I it it has changed over the years as I've got older and as I've had a family and that kind of thing. Now I do try to be a bit more prepared with lines. Uh, to, I used to think, oh no, it'll make me fix my performance. Yeah. That was actually just laziness, which rubbish. <laughs> it doesn't make anything. Of the sort of makes it easier and gives you more time. Yeah. So uh, that's something like I, am learning at the moment for something that, uh, for dear to canons. You play around that fast So that's. Uh, uh I'm doing that at night because we have a relatively short rehearsal period and I'm kinda of going that so that'll be the main yeah. prep. Reading it, reading it and reading it and reading it. And then no, to be honest, it kind of I think it happens on the floor and it happens by uttering and being in the same, you know, space with the other actor. Um so yeah, those, those I don't know if I have a process.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but then is it, is it the combination of those people in the room? Is that what, That's where the magic happens. That it's it's boun- bouncing those ideas off another actor or a director, filtering them through the vision of a designer or whatever. Is that yes, where absolutely. you feel it starts to come together?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I suppose the thing about it is is the first read-through is always, you know, some people don't do a first read-through, and, you know, everybody has their own way of, of going about things and just, you know, work with it. Lots of different people with different methods. They've yeah. all been good, brilliant, you know. But uh, I love just to hear how the voices sound against each other yeah. and how the, like, a, just even this simple thing of you know uh, how the how the physical bodies are together. And it depends on what kind of piece you're doing, of course, doesn't it? You know, uh, if you're doing something that involves uh, developing a physicality or kind of a, a physical language, then y- you're going to, uh, you know. Have a longer journey from you know yeah. day one to then <laughs> yes. but then I also love like, like like most people I love a tech yeah because I think that then all of those other amazing artists who've been working away on stuff that you really haven't access to yeah you know, a lot of them we don't see it yeah sound oh, and stage management yeah. you know and all of that kind of thing coming together it's just and of course you know really good directors always know what that's going to do yeah do you know, so that you're, you know, where you're kind of going, mm, should I be doing more here? And they're going, but well, know, there's going to be like whistled bells, yeah. gobos and a flying fox coming across the yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Like a, a, so it's very exciting for you to find out what yeah. it is. <laughs> do you know what I mean?
0: Talking about directors, when do you feel like things are gelling with a director? Or are there particular directors that you've worked with quite a bit that when you come back to, you go, yeah, this is right. We get each other. Oh, that yeah. Fits well.
1: Generally, most Directors, I've been, I've been very lucky to work with great directors like, uh, like Graham on the Unmanageables. You just just love loved working with him. We all did. And uh, so this year, I say I worked with Maisie Lee on Normal. Yeah. And uh, I'd worked with Maisie before in various other different contexts and just uh, And uh, Michael Ford on Roman Fever that I'm doing yeah. right now. And Michael and I have worked together as actors, and we've worked together as director and actor. Just such an easy fit and yeah. Jim is going to be directing Rathmines Road that we're going to be doing in a couple of weeks and you know I've worked with Jim many many <laughs> yes. times and uh, as I say it's always just an absolute joy you know and I've worked with Paul Mead many times and yeah. Jordan and all these just fabulous people like Anne Lynn yeah. you know yeah. you, just, you just bounce into work and you go oh great them
0: what are you looking for in a scene partner when you're up on stage with them or even in the rehearsal room with someone, what do you need from whoever's playing opposite you?
1: I don't even think in that sense, really. Uh, um, I kind of only think that, you know, you're working with other artists and and you're both working on it. I don't yeah. need anything from them. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, uh, we work on our stuff together. Okay. That's a, that, no, that's really <laughs> interesting. No, it's
0: interesting. Um, yeah, I love it. Talk to me then about... The the Rathman's Road that's coming up because it yeah. sounds like it's going to be very exciting. Are we yeah. let la- We are allowed to discuss it. It's been yeah, we're, so. allowed, we're allowed to talk about it. Yeah,
1: um, it's so it's a new play by David uh, Ginnan, obviously who wrote up, or who uh, adapted Unmanageable Sisters, and it's on. I suppose it, it's on the subject of uh, truth-telling after trauma. I suppose would be okay. the, the easiest way to discuss it, um, and and rape is the specific issue. Okay. Um, it has kind of a sliding doors sort of element to it in that you explore to Explore is the wrong word. It's very visceral okay. <laughs> set over one night. You're not exploring anything at all. <laughs> but uh, of what happens if you speak and what happens if you don't speak, my character is the character to whom the rape has happened. And it is fiendish, this play. It is fiendish and forensic uh, about what... What the what the implications are? It's it's it's, it's a moral, knotty maze. Uh, it's funny too, which is weird if you can <laughs> yeah. imagine that. And it has questions about sexuality and about gender and about. Uh, it's it's really 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 exciting. I can't wait to do it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, it's it's no,
0: it does. It sounds like it's going to be incredible. Um, um, and it does feel very fierce. it feels like. Deirdre's on a particular role at the moment that from, from show to show that she's, she's churned out an incredible body of work uh, in the last little while but also work of uh, significant power that there's something to I don't know if it's the fearlessness maybe of what she's writing at the moment is really intriguing.
1: I think she's so connected to the world around her that she hits zeitgeists yeah. all over the place do you know what I mean and you know her body of work is large because she works so hard. In fact, I went down to McCarrick for a week, uh, not long after a management assistant who was there, theatre.
0: Of course, <laughs> walks in the woods <laughs> and yeah. all of
1: that kind of thing. Uh, working on a completely separate piece to either of yeah. those. Uh, so she's, you know, she's a powerhouse. Yeah, it's something else. Yeah. Do you
0: still get excited by the theatre? Are there still moments of that eleven-year-old in the Abbey when you get, like you say, when you go into a tech or something like that? Can you still be,
1: can you still be blown away by theatre? Uh, Hundred percent. I would say more percentages, but we we know there's only a hundred percent. But yes, absolutely. I am very excited by theatre. I'm excited to be in theatres. I'm yeah. excited to be in rehearsal rooms, even if they're not real rehearsal rooms. As in, if they're, it doesn't matter what they are. Yeah. I love the whole thing. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm totally pushed over for this. I love it. I mean, I don't like any more than anybody else. Not knowing what's coming up of and course. never being able to save and uh, <laughs> all of that malarkey. Yeah. but I really couldn't have, you know, I couldn't have picked a better career. Mm. And it's funny because Mick, my husband, is also an actor. Oh, sorry, I just put my cardigan on the, uh, <laughs> the microphone there. And it's actually been a really lovely profession to raise a child in for us because we're, we have the luxury of having the two of us and yeah. our work has often dovetailed so that, you know, we have a lot of time to spend with him, which we might, maybe wouldn't if we were in where that had more regular well, hours. Yeah, well,
0: that's the I've been talking to, in fact, talking to a couple of dads in the business about mm. this mm. recently. Um, and it's that thing of, you know, if you have to go out on tour and you're going to be away for a while or whatever, that is, you know, those times are hard. Mm. But if you average it out over the year... There's every chance that you know you or are making up more hours. Yeah, uh, very lucky. Than you would be if you're you know dropping a kid to crash at seven in the morning and picking them up again at seven on <laughs> the way home. If you're you know doing the standard office commute thing. Um, and but I do I, yeah. admire those
1: those actors who are raising children on their own and doing this business because that's so so hard. Hard, but they don't make they don't make a look at their you know uh, friends of mine who who are doing that. They're just. Awesome, but I would say that that the irregularity of it—I mm. would say—is it, to use that word again—is is quite fiendish if you're trying to figure out. So yeah. Feels, you
0: know. Um, are there unfulfilled ambitions? Are there things you'd still like to do? Are there parts you'd still like to play? Are there any particular burning ambitions?
1: Yeah, I. Um I'd still, I'd still be so curious about playing Beatrice, in, yeah. um, but just because for some reason it was just sparked off me early. I'd love to play Pauline in Winter's Dale, I'd love to play you know, a couple of Shakespeare's. In terms of um, my own ambitions, I just love to keep finding parts that excite me. Because uh, as we always say to each other, you always get the part you never heard of, or you, put, you know the thing you never heard of coming. Because yeah. you can't, you know, things. Which have been brewing in other people's minds and other people's arts budgets and all of that kind of thing just suddenly you know come up and you go wow that that's mm. fabulous, but uh, <clears throat> it would be nice to you know it would be nice to to yeah just keep going it's really great.
0: Yeah, I, do, I, I I do think that's that's a real drive for a lot of us. I, mean, I just I just want to keep doing it. I love doing it. I want to keep going. The
1: parts you'd like to do.
0: Yeah, you know, like it just can just keep lashing away. It's, yeah. uh It's 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 really exciting. Um. what overall what do you think of the scene at the moment of Irish theatre do you think it's in relatively good shape do you are you concerned about it are you excited by it how do you feel about the scene generally
1: I think the scene generally is very exciting yeah at the moment I think there's such a great proportion of uh, uh, established performers and creators and people who are Coming through, yeah, and they're doing interesting, fabulous things. This seems to—I don't know if I can remember a better time, actually, right. in terms of you know who's running everything, and uh, you know I think this—I think it's an extraordinarily exciting time to be part of this business right now. Yeah. I think more so than at any other point in my career.
0: it's oh, a fantastic thing. I am also very excited about Are you? it. And I'm very excited about seeing an awful lot more of Karen Ardiff being <laughs> brilliant everywhere she goes. Karen, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It was really brilliant. It's been great. <laughs> so there you have it, the great Karen Ardiff. So wonderful to have Karen on the podcast at last. Such a... Brilliant, brilliant actor. Someone I'm just a massive fan of. And so great to get her take and her insight on life in the business. Really, really enjoyed that chat. Fantastic to have her on. And so that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of theatrical goings on around the country. At the Abbey Theatre, it's Jimmy's Hall. They also have Two Pints, directed by Katrina McLaughlin. And they have Frankenstein with Louis Lovett. At the Gate Theatre, they have The Snapper, but it is now completely sold out. I don't know if it's worth chancing your on returns there, but they have sold the fuck out. Fair play to them. At the Gaiety Theatre it is Riverdance continuing there and at the Board Gosh, your last few chances to catch Wicked. At Smock Alley the Rise Productions residency home at this stage I guess. They still have their production of The Shotgun going on there. Uh, I'm Too Fat for This Show is there with the great Kate Huffman continuing that world tour with that show which I've heard incredible reports about. Can't wait to go and see that now tomorrow night. Uh, and also they have Hero starring Di McSivna which I've been hearing good things about as well. That is well worth checking out if you get the chance. Uh, across... On On the north side, at the Viking in Clontarf, they have My Real Life, starring the ever-brilliant Don Witcherly. And at Bewley's Café Theatre, they have Roman Fever by Hugh Leonard, starring none other than the great Karen Ardiff. Do go and check that out if you have a chance at your lunchtime. At the Everyman in Cork, it's your last chance to catch the Lonesome West, starring Gus McDonough. Out west, at the Town Hall in Galway, they have Ashling and followed that by that touring production of Hero. And up north, in Belfast, at the Lyric, they have The Snail and the Whale, and that'll be followed by... Good vibrations. So look, that is us. That is episode 42 in the books. We will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. But in the meantime, this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Ogh Macanally, I'm Angus Ogh Macanally. We'll see you next week.